Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is Friday, October the 7th. Uh, this month is rushing on just like every other month has been doing. We want to read, I want to read today, and uh, then we'll sit together, and we'll sit after the reading. And then you can go about your day or your evening and have some good, uh, something good to be thinking about. So there are two, two essays. One's very short, the other's a little longer that I want to read. And this one is called, and it's from uh, A Heart as Wide as the World, Sharon Salzberg's, one of her earlier books and one of my favorite now. This one is called The Transparent World. The Buddha taught that everything exists in dependence on conditions in a relationship that is continually changing and thus essentially insubstantial. In the same way that the objects of our experience are subject to change, so too are our ways of thinking, our conceptual frameworks. We may talk about the Empire State Building as being very tall until we compare it to the World Trade Center, which we know doesn't exist anymore, which is taller. We might search, so that's an example of impermanence, right? We might search for an object that is inherently tall, but we will fail to find it because all of our ways of comprehending exist in relationship to something else. The insubstantiality of our way of thinking, our concepts, is revealed to us over and over. It was once revealed to me in a powerful way when I visited the Lama Foundation, a spiritual community in New Mexico. In May 1996, flames swept across northern New Mexico, destroying 7,500 acres of forest, as well as 32 homes and structures in the Lama community. The residents of Lama Foundation were forced to evacuate. When they were allowed to return, they discovered that the once richly forested mountain had been transformed into a desert of ash, rubble, and dead or dying trees. Well, that's just like what's been happening in, oh wow, the Northwest with all the forest fires over the last, this is in 96 or 97 that she wrote this. And we, we've been seeing the same thing happening in our country in the Northwest for the last several summers and in New Mexico. Our drive up to the foundation land brought us through an eerie scene. The landscape was utterly transformed. It was strangely like entering the negative of a photo, the skyline filled with silhouettes of charred trees. As we tried to orient ourselves, we spotted familiar places now completely devastated. As I spoke with the people who lived on the mountain, they talked about how they'd always identified themselves as part of that community, part of the Lama Foundation. They were now forced to ask themselves, where is the Lama Foundation? 
Is it in the land and therefore large, largely destroyed? In the present community and therefore largely intact? In the spirit, which can be found in many different places, wherever people do spiritual practice? Is it located in the experiences that countless people have had over the years when they have visited, and so existent wherever they are? Is it in the effect that all of these those people have had on others, and therefore spread throughout the world? Can we find the one thing that is the Lama Foundation? When fixed notions of designations and categories are dissolved, we see that we live in an intricate, extraordinary world of change, all mutable, boundless, and transitory. We live in a world of transparency, of insubstantiality. Experiences do not exist as a substantial reality apart from the conditions that created them. In relating to our life, we have a fundamental choice. We can be cognizant of and accepting of this ephemeral, fleeting world, or we can cling to a mistaken notion of solidity, of inherently permanent categories. But if we deny the insubstantiality of things, we miss the living, flowing nature of the universe. We become trapped in the limitations of mere concepts and don't realize how constricted we are until we let go. We let go. We let go of a singular self-identity and find the understanding of where Lama was not destroyed and where we do not die without a solid, unyielding, rigid view we discovered the expansiveness of life, its extraordinary richness of possibility. Then, no matter what the experience, we can know it with a heart that us is unbound. So I like this, the first part of this paragraph. In relating to our life, we have a fundamental choice. We can be cognizant of and accepting of this ephemeral, fleeting world, or we can cling to a mistaken notion of solidity, of inherently permanent categories. That's certain, that really is a mistaken notion, isn't, isn't it, that things are permanent, things are solid, and we know, in fact, nothing is. That's uh, interesting. In May 1996, the fires in northern New Mexico destroyed uh, a large Buddhist I didn't I, I'm not aware of the Lama Foundation and um, we've seen exactly the th same things happening over the last few years or maybe the last five to seven years and it's it's very fascinating to see how how people look at things if they if they can see, this time has come and it's gone. Everything's flowing forward. Um, how much, how much more that can help them make it through tragedy. So the next article is called Chili Peppers. 
Once on a meditation retreat in Burma, I was calmly eating lunch when I unexpectedly bit down on a whole chili pepper. My mouth caught on fire and so did my mind. I've got to get out of this country, I immediately thought to myself. This spicy food is going to make me sick. I'm going to get an ulcer. <laughs> I can relate to this one. I had an interview scheduled with my teacher, Sayadaw Upandita, right after lunch. When I went in to see him, I asked as casually as I could, why is it that Burmese people like the taste of chili so much? He said to me, we don't like the taste of chilies very much. Indignantly, I ask, why do you put so many in the food then? He replied, we have a belief that the stinging, burning sensation you get when you bite down on a chili pepper will clear your palate, and that clearing your palate is very good for your digestion. We believe chili peppers are good for your health, and we put a lot of them in the food. So it turned out that the same burning sensation that made me worry about stomach ulcers, the Burmese thought of as being good for one's health. The same sensation, two very different reactions. One of the most powerful moments of insight we can have is when, in the midst of an experience, we see that there is a clear difference between our immediate sensation and the mental response we add to it. We then start to see that what we consider our experience of reality has two essentially different aspects. The first aspect has to do with the natural property of any experience, and it is universal. If you bite down on a chili pepper and your taste buds are functioning, no matter who you are, or where you live, you will experience burning. The first aspect is that which is true by nature, the direct, unembellished, unelaborated truth of the moment. The second aspect has to do with our concepts, the interpretation we add to the direct experience. These are based on our desires, memories, belief systems, past experiences, and fear. The full force of our psychological, personal, and cultural conditioning comes to bear in that moment. We embellish the experience and draw conclusions about what it means for our own lives. The practice of mindfulness allows us to discern these two distinct aspects. Through mindfulness, we can see that the interpretations, the feelings about what is written, has arisen, the ideas about it are not an inherent part of that particular experience. Not that we would want to or ever could eradicate the aspect of reality that is conceptual and interpretive. However, having an intimate awareness of both these parts makes us aware of the sea of concepts that we usually drown ourselves in. That's wonderful. However, having an intimate awareness of both these parts makes us aware of the sea of concepts that we usually drown ourselves in. 
Oh, that's really good. When we understand that a particular experience does not mandate a particular interpretation, we awaken to what is called in Buddhist teaching, karmic vision. There are so many ways of perceiving and interpreting and feeling about the very same event, depending on all of the conditioning we bring to that moment. As Kalu Rinpoche explained, if a hundred people sleep and dream, each of them will experience a different world in their dream. Everyone's dream might be said to be true, but it would be meaningless to ascertain that only one person's dream was the true world and all others were fallacies. There's truth for each perceiver according to the karmic patterns conditioning their perceptions. The world that is created by our karmic vision is rich and varied. Being mindful, we can remember how much our own worldview affects what we make of each experience and how the same experience might be interpreted very differently by another. Joseph Goldstein and I were once staying in a hotel in London when, in the middle of the night, the fire alarm began blaring. I bolted out of the bed thinking, what should I do? We were on the sixth floor, and I had recently sprained my ankle. I knew it was dangerous to take the elevator, so I would have to make it down the stairs. What should I take with me, I wondered. The alarm kept blaring, so I just grabbed my passport and left the room. In the corridor, I met up with Joseph who was staying in the next room. He had taken his passport and his notes for the Dhamma talks he would be giving during the next retreat. We arrived downstairs to find the lobby filled with people. It was an amazing scene. Some people seemed to have packed everything they owned and carried it down the stairs. Others had taken nothing. There were women wearing white gloves, pearls, and makeup. Some men were in three-piece suits, and others were literally half-undressed. As I stood there at 3 a.m., the thought occurred to me, this is how life actually is all the time, with all of us responding to an experience in our own unique ways. Each person's view of events is conditioned by so many things, but when, when we become afraid or uncertain, we tend to cling to our perceptions as if they were universally true. We confuse the direct nature of an experience with our particular reaction, as though that reaction were mandated by the experience itself. Thus, the world suddenly becomes very small. This is called fixation. When we imagine that all other people are perceiving the world just as we are, or that they should be, we not only reinforce our subjective perceptions, but also lose the capacity to connect intimately with others. And we deny the richness of their experiences. By coming to know the difference between the natural property of any experience and our interpretation of it, 
we begin to realize how immensely relative our reactions are, recognizing that an incredible array of feelings and interpretations and thoughts can arise in response to any event, we see that we do not need to cling so ferociously to our own reactions. We need not feel trapped by the world we find in each moment. Once we realize how intricately it is shaped by our perceptions. This is a very good one. I really like that. That's, that's one we need to remember uh, daily, hourly, right? Maybe moment by moment. I like this sentence. Each person's view of events is conditioned by so many things, but when we become afraid or uncertain, we tend to cling to our perceptions as if they were universally true. We confuse the direct nature of an experience with our particular reaction, as though that reaction were mandated by the experience itself. And then this, thus the world suddenly becomes very small. This is called fixation. Oh, that's very good. So remember that we're all perceiving things through our conditioning. So uh, we need to always remember that we don't see the world the way anybody else does. I love her image of the people hearing a fire alarm in the hotel and everybody's running to the lobby or maybe walking or strolling and uh, the way how she, when she saw what they brought and how they were dressed and everything they carried the, all the different people it really uh, it really was a beautiful image wasn't it and seeing that she calls it when we awaken to that that is karmic vision So why don't we have a very short sit, and uh, and I'll begin it with this with my verse uh, that can be a way to do a quick loving kindness practice, and then we'll just sit with mindfulness. So be relaxed, be awake, let your spine lift up so you can feel being awake. Yes, Eva, I agree with you. It's a really timely essay because of the, the division between uh, human beings, between countries, between neighbors, between people who were previously friends. There's so much division that we really, this is, a, this is what really makes this essay feel so pointed to me. So, and when we think of... Um, Loving kindness, we're, we're thinking about the same thing in terms of being able to send that kindness, friendliness to, to all beings. It doesn't matter what their beliefs are. I mean, we're all, we're all doing the best we can and we're all perceiving things through our own conditioning. So, uh, we can't expect that we can 
only think of like-minded people when we practice loving-kindness. So let your shoulders roll back and be comfortable. And we have, we just have a very short time for meditation. So if, if you are in a good, if you have more time, you can just continue sitting or doing walking meditation when I finish. You can close your eyes if you like. Now just relax. Be aware of the breath. And whenever you become distracted or you lose being in the present moment, you start remembering things you have to do or uh, you're thinking about something you forgot to do earlier. Just come back to the breath. Let go of everything except right now. And relax in that. Think happy, at rest. May all beings be happy at heart. Whatever beings there may be, weak or strong, without exception, long, large, middling, short, subtle, gross, seen and unseen, living near and far away, born or seeking birth. May all beings be happy at heart. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere or through anger or resistance perception wish for another to suffer. See if you have a smile on your face when you sit.
May all of us be well, contented, happy, may we live in peace. And may this be in our thoughts towards, towards others, towards all beings, all the time. May everything today that we do and think and say be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all others. Excluding no one or no thing or no being. We can create a refuge for ourselves. And when we do that, we're creating a refuge for others. So thank you. And keep practicing if you have time. Have a good weekend and I'll see you next Tuesday.